I was driving this weekend a lot. That's a different story. But I was driving, and I was driving through uh, all the forests we have in Oregon down into southern Oregon. And I've done a lot of hiking, and it was brought to mind the difference between going on a hike and seeing and seeing everything on a small scale, walking through the trees and seeing maybe the leaves on the trees or um, the way the ground looks or the way the foliage looks and being really amazed by that and how awesome that is. And then also being able to drive through hundreds of miles and see the forest on a grand scale. Or maybe you've been in an airplane and you can look out, especially when you maybe go over Mount Hood or something, you get to see all of that. You say, wow, that's that's beautiful. That's amazing stuff where we get to live and what we get to see and experience. And there's, there's beauty to both sides of those, right? You're on the trail and you can look and maybe see a small bird sitting in a tree. Wow, that's beautiful. And then you can zoom all the way out and see the whole forest and say, wow, that's beautiful. Um, for the past many months now, we have been in Romans 8 and we were looking in a deliberate fashion at the gospel and its personal impact on us as individuals. It's been encouraging. It's been um, helpful for me, at least. I'm sure others would agree. And it's been an enlightening experience to be reminded the truth of the gospel. And one of the things it's done is it's pushed into our understanding, pushed into that and helped us understand at a ground level, at that small scale level, what it means for me, what it means at a personal level. Uh, We talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about Him reminding us that we are children of God, convincing us that it is true and that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We were reminded of that. And that's that's good stuff. That's helpful stuff. That is necessary. Those are necessary things to know. This morning, though, we are not going into Romans because it's Memorial Day weekend and that's it's like a, a starting line to summer, I guess. So we go, nope, we're done with Romans for the summer. Next week we're going to jump into Psalms, but this week is a one-off. So it's whatever I chose. So this, this morning we are going to pull back, and my hope is that we get that view of the forest of the gospel, view of the grand picture of the gospel, um, where we were at a sharp focus and a, and a close focus in Romans. My hope is that we can pull back and see how broad the focus of the gospel is. Um, one pastor I've read talks about gospel on the ground, on the trail, um, and then gospel in the air where you can see the forest, um, the personal and the big picture. And I hope that will be helpful this morning. So where are we going? Turn to Amos. And half of you said, do I have that book? (laughs) Amos. If you have a pew Bible, because you you want help, I know. Page 909, Amos, chapter 5. I have been, for the past couple years, um, every morning before I go to work, I read a single chapter Um, of the Bible, and I've been going through the Old Testament and just slowly walking through, seeing how things fit together, seeing, oh, that's that's quoting this thing from over there, and just walking through slowly and spending time to ponder and see how deep all of this goes. And and this is a free tip. If you are really discouraged by how uh, much time it takes to read the Bible or how to get together a plan to read the Bible, just read a chapter or less. Just open the book and read it and whatever amount that you can read in a morning or an evening or whatever, that's great. 
Read, just read the Bible. Don't, don't worry about finishing this whole... This is a thick book. Don't worry about finishing the whole thing in a year. Just read a little bit and it's helpful to walk through slowly. So, so I recently came to Amos and I was reading, uh, reading through and I was struck by this particular line of poetry in Amos 5. In Amos 5.24... Amos says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. This I was reading and, and all of a sudden it's early morning. I'm getting ready for work. And this verse just had a sense of refreshment to it. There's there's something good and wholesome in this poetry, in this poetic line it says, but let justice roll down like waters. You almost picture water um, rolling over rocks, maybe even a waterfall, or water covering everything that's in its path. It's just going to move and nothing's going to stop it. Um, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Um, another way of saying this is a stream always in season. A stream that doesn't dry up when it's the summer. Um, just from the just from a initial glance at this, there's an outset of a call of life-giving water to always be present. That's, that's what this is calling for. Um, I've been to Israel, which is where this was written, and I've been in the wilderness in Israel, um, and there are many streams in Israel that don't flow year-round. There, there's a little, a little wadi, as it were. You could go on a hike and you could have your map, and you say, if we get to this little blue line on the map, um, we could get some water, it'll be great. And it's summer, so you go and you hike there and you get to where there's supposed to be water and you say there's, there's a blue line on this map and there's just ground right here. This is not good. And that's a, that's a stream that is not in season. That's a stream that will dry up when it's summer. And I, it can get really hot and miserable in Israel. Bad. It's, I did, there were many times I did not like walking around in what is called the wilderness. Um, and when I was in, in Israel, we were touring the wilderness. We were touring the wilderness is where, if you remember, Satan tempts Jesus. Probably not a good place to be, just in general. And we were walking around and it's the desert and it's hot and it's dry. And we were out all day and we'd hike all day and we'd see these different spots. And I'm from the Pacific Northwest. There's water everywhere, and I don't like being in the desert. It's not that great. Um, but we were hiking around, and one particular day, we were going to go to En Gedi. This is a, a special spot called En Gedi. And if you've read a little bit of the Bible, this is one of like, it's like a resort spot for the kings. So they'd be in, in Jerusalem, and they would go and vacation in En Gedi. David would go to En Gedi. And I remember hearing about that, and we're, we're going to go. This is going to be one of the last places we go this, this afternoon. We're going to go to En Gedi. And we hiked, and they, they told me we're gonna, there's going to be a waterfall, and there's going to be a pond, and it's going to be great. And we get there, and we, we hike up this trail, and the waterfall was like four feet wide. And the pond was... Just a little pond. And at first I thought, I'm from the Northwest. This isn't a waterfall. And then I immediately realized, 
I'm in the desert, and this is flowing water. And all of a sudden, my perspective of this just completely changed. I was looking at water flowing in the desert, and it was refreshing, and it was striking the contrast of this particular stream of water and everything else around the area. In this particular spot, there was a waterfall and there was a pond and there was refreshment and within five to ten feet of this stream, there was vegetation and there was growth and there were plants big enough that you had to walk under them and burrow through big growing vegetation and there was shade and there was relaxation and it was good and you go 30 feet and there's nothing. Wow, this this is an amazing thing. This is... This is grace in the middle of the desert. This is wonderful. And Amos is saying, let justice and righteousness flow like that kind of water and let it be the type of water that's always in season. Never an on or off thing. Always on. He says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now what are these two words, justice and righteousness? Um, Often, we especially Western thinkers, Western civilization thinkers, we often have a very narrow uh, legal definition of justice and righteousness. We have forensics or we have courtrooms in our mind when we hear about justice and righteousness. Um, Right sentence against a crime or right standing before God, right? Justice and righteousness. You guys watch the crime shows. You know how this goes. Um, And that is a true part of justice and righteousness, but it's a small part. It's a small, narrow piece of it. Um, and and we, we saw Paul talking about this and talking like this in Romans, describing the personal nature of the gospel, describing the good news of us being made right with God, being made in right standing with God. But the Old Testament writers, they have a much broader concept in view here. Justice and righteousness. These two words pair up a lot in the Old Testament. They often go together. These two Hebrew words, it's mishpat and sadekah. These two words come together often. And in the Old Testament, justice points to fairness. Fairness in courts, especially societal justice. And righteousness points to decency and generosity and loyalty to community. um, Proper relationship with God. Taken simply, this is a properly ordered relationship with God and with others, with God and with neighbor. They are a comprehensive pair. They work together and they encompass our horizontal relationships and our vertical relationships. So when justice and righteousness are being done, we are actively pushing away injustice and we are helping the victim. That's what's going on when we are doing justice and righteousness. And Amos says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So let, let that type of relationship with God and man roll down like waters, right? We like that. That sounds good. Um, why did Amos say this? Why is this here in Amos 5? So we can, we can pull back. If you don't know what a verse means, you pull back and you get a bigger context. So Amos was a fig farmer. I just wanted to say fig farmer. Um, He was a fig farmer that lived in Judah, which is below Israel, south of Israel, and was used by God to go and talk to the northern kingdom of Israel. 
He traveled north. This happened right around the time the, the Greeks were doing the first Olympi- Olympic Games way back in the day. Um, and he gets sent north to Israel to proclaim the words of the Lord, to proclaim the words of Yahweh to the people of God. Here is what God is saying to the people of God. Um, and if you were to read and start in Amos 1 and you were to read forward, you would begin reading and you would hear about God's accusations against the neighbors of Israel. And he would, he would call out these city-states around the nation of Israel. He would call out Aram and Philistia and Tyre and Edom and Ammon and Moab and Judah. And he would, he would say, you guys are bad neighbors. You guys are bad national neighbors. You have hurt people. You have um, mistreated people across borders. You have done things to your neighbors that you share borders with that is not okay. That is not just. That is not righteous. And he lays out these accusations against the neighbors of Israel. And if you were Israel, you'd re- you're reading and you, all, you could almost sense them going, yeah, those, those guys are jerks. We don't like them either. Those neighbors. We don't like them. But if you knew a little bit of geography, you would see in Amos, God starts with the, the, the neighbors furthest away, and then he gets closer. And then he, he said, let's talk about Israel. Let's go right to the middle. And Israel's section at the beginning of Amos is twice as long as anybody else's section. And he and Amos came to tell them they were breaking the covenant with God. They were not doing the things they promised to do. Their relationships with their neighbors far and near were broken. The evidence against the people of God, this whole people group and its governmental structure, everything they put together they were mistreating the poor. That was the big accusation against Israel. They were misusing their legal structures to not help the poor and take care of them, but to put them out. They were selling their poor brothers into slavery, treading on them, beating them down when they were already facing hard times. They'd get them into a place of debt and then using the legal system, they'd use that system to sell them into slavery so they get a profit. That's what Israel's doing. Amos comes in and says, God is going to take you out because this is not how things are to be done. This is, this is evil. You don't do this. This is not just. This is not righteous. This is not how you treat your neighbors. This is not how you love your neighbors. And the heartbreaking thing about Amos and the message he is giving is these are accusations against the people of God who can trace their line and their purpose all the way back to the garden. They can go all the way back to the garden where things were in right relationship, where things were in right relationship with people and right relationship with God. Where God was in good relationship with man and woman and man and woman were God's representatives on the earth. Everything was ordered well. And we we know, in just seeing this, we know that it was tragically pulled apart. But even... Even their forefathers, even Abraham was tasked with, you do justice and righteousness. We see it in Moses. We do justice and righteousness. So much of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah, is explaining how you take care of foreigners, how you take care of sojourners, how you take care of the poor, how you take care of the orphan and the widow. Moses is saying, this is how you do justice and righteousness. This is how you put these things together properly. 
There was supposed to be partnership between God and his people. His people were supposed to be the representatives of Yahweh that show this is how life is supposed to work. Doing life in a right relationship with God and people. Instead, Israel is using their systems to push people down so they can live in luxury. There's a line in Amos 6 that's heartbreaking. It says, Woe to you who drink wine out of bowls, but do not grieve over the ruin of of Joseph. They cared more for their parties than for the poor. That is the opposite of justice and righteousness. This accusation is leveled, judgment proclaimed, and what does Israel say as a response? They say, we go to temple, we give offerings, we sing songs, we show up every Saturday. We know the proper form of worship. Isn't that enough? And that's, that's chapter 5 right here. And God speaks through Amos in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I'd say even if you show up and you worship with the proper forms, you know the lyrics of the songs, you know when to nod along, you know when to smile, when to say amen, how to give if not coupled with justice and righteousness, it's broken. It's broken. There's something, there's something so sick to this response by Israel. Yeah, we see your point about the poor. We agree that we've mis- mistreated women. We know that our track record with foreigners is not good. But I come to temple every week and I tithe. God says, I hate that stuff. I, I hate this connection. I hate the way you've coupled these two things together. I hate the way you're relating to me and the way you're relating to your neighbors. God is pleading back, bringing them back, calling them back to something so life-giving and wholesome. This is a call. This is a request. This is a proclamation of something so much bigger and so much better. Water in the desert. And all, this, and all of this is an acknowledgement that the world is broken in so many obvious ways. And not only is it observable by the people of Israel, by the people of God, it is something they can be part of fixing. They can mend these things. They can do justice and righteousness. Every time they see something that rings a chord dissonant, out of tune, out of place, with the garden, with the way things ought to be, they can be part of retuning it. They can be part of bringing it back into the right relationship where it's supposed to be. Every time they notice only a dry desert with no chance of life, they can be part of bringing in the stream and let plants grow on either side. And not only, the the sad and frustrated part is not only are they not tuning, are they not bringing the water, they are putting in more dissonance by the way they treat their neighbors. They are damming up the rivers by the way they overlook the poor and the foreigner and the widow, by the way they treat the women, 
by their preoccupation with their own wealth, by the way they interact with their neighbors. They're damming up the rivers. And God is giving them a loud, stop! And a call to join again in doing justice and righteousness. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is saying justice and righteousness should never be out of season. Should never be out of season. There's so much desert out there. The water should be flowing. The water is needed. It is perhaps easy to look at Israel and be disgusted by the incongruous relationship between their status and their action, between their revelation and their response, between what they knew and what they did. They don't go together. It's painful to read. It's painful to look at. But it is hard for me to read Amos and hear the dissonance present in this story and not hear the same story played out in every corner of our city, of our state, of our country, of our world. We hear these same chords that are out of tune. We hear it and that's not how it's supposed to be. We hear the ignoring of the poor or a callous call for them to just be responsible with no hand of compassion. It doesn't take many of life's surprises for someone to be on the street if they have no community around them. I've seen those things happen. We hear a systematic push of the undesirables out of popular parts of town. We hear the systems that are so broken they keep the dejected stuck and confused and helpless. I hear people talk about try getting a job when you have a jail record, even if you want to work hard. Try having a gambling addiction and just checking out of the grocery store without seeing a state-supplied lottery ticket right in your face. We hear the plight of the addicted who, they don't know where to go. They don't know how to get out. What do I do? Help me. What do I do? That's what, that's what they say. That's what my friends say. We hear the children hopping from foster home to foster home. Every baby that never sees the light of day. Every new, single, scared, expectant mother going, I don't know what to do with this baby. They don't have any help. We hear the derision against the foreigner. We hear the devaluing of someone because of the color of their skin. We hear the degrading comment because of someone's race. Violence because you don't look like me, because you don't sound like me, because you don't think like me. It's all out of tune. And every time we click into relationships with only those like us because they are like us, it's all broken. It's all desert where water is needed. And I have missed so many, many examples. And my hope is that even in talking about a bit of injustice, our hearts are pricked with knowledge of more injustice. We know where it's broken. All of this is dissonance. All of this seems, it seems like injustice is flowing. Unrighteousness seems to always be in season. There are big systematic problems and they show themselves at every level Country to neighborhood, all the way down to your street. And some would say, 
well, that's, that's the government's responsibility. That's not me. I, that's, that's someone else. What is, what is government but a, a collaborative decision about how we want our lives to be organized? Amos accused a whole people, and they had a, a monarchy. There was a king running the whole show. Where do we stand? And even more so, we, we are representatives of something far greater than America. We are more than Americans. Jesus came to rescue, redeem, and save us on an individual level. That's what we were talking about in Romans 8. I am a child of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that. That's what Jesus did. And to save us from the ultimate ramifications of our sin, He also came to initiate a world where justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We have the personal level and we have the grand level. God is going to mend things. Paul describes this aspect of the gospel in Colossians. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. God sent Jesus, God among us, to reconcile things to himself, to put them back into place where they ought to be to hear that dissonant chord and put it back into tune, to see the desert and bring water so there can be life. Jesus, by his work on the cross, was in the process of bringing these things together. He was not ignoring the dissonance. He, injected, he interjected himself into history to mend and tune and do justice and righteousness. He's mending at a cosmic level. At a global level, he is piecing it all back together. He shows up in the desert and turns the river on. I love that. And those in Christ, those intimately aware that we are saved by Christ's work on the cross, we partner in that reconciling work of the gospel. 2 Corinthians says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making His appeal through us. We cannot see the brokenness and think, it's not my problem. You have been given the ministry of of reconciliation, the ministry of putting things back together, the ministry of bringing water in the desert. You are an ambassador, my friend. We can no longer walk down the street as a neutral party, not associated with anything that's going on. We are representatives of a different government, a different kingdom, one where brokenness is mended, one where neighbors are loved, where broken relationships are pieced back together where the dissonance is tuned and a glorious song can be played, where water is brought to the desert, where justice and righteousness are always in season, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Practically, what does this look like? Start with being hospitable. Much of the time in Scripture, in this book, Hospitality is, in, is practiced toward an alien or a stranger. 
It's a loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. Stretch that muscle. Start with a neighbor and don't stop. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Another, another thing is prayerfully open your eyes when you go about the day. Just open your eyes when you go about the day. The world is thick with injustice. And being willing to see it and notice it is a first step in doing justice and righteousness. You can see that brokenness and you can echo with Amos and say, but let justice roll down like waters, or righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And don't, don't say it's someone else's problem. You have been empowered alongside Christ to do the work of reconciliation and love your neighbor, be it across the street, across the neighborhood, across the cubicle, across the culture, across the city. You are an ambassador. You get to help bring water in the desert. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In God's kingdom, it is always in season. He is working this. He has been working this. And He will work this to its full completion with us along for the ride. With us in partnership with Him. Let me close with a final poetic description of a river when justice and righteousness are fully realized. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would Draw our gaze and show us where things are broken and where injustice is and where unrighteousness is. And let us not stand on the sidelines. We have been given so much. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are in Christ. We get to partner in your ministry of reconciliation and help us to remember that and be emboldened by that and be invigorated by that truth. Help us echo with Amos. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God, the gospel, the good news is good to us on a personal level and it's good on a grand level. And help us realize that and jump into that with full energy and excitement. Help us to love our neighbors when we see them. Not just the ones next door, but the ones that we would rather avoid. Empower us to love and give compassion and to do justice and righteousness in a way that brings life and goodness. Amen.